Good morning, church. I told you that unless I assigned people to the front row, no one would ever sit there. <sighs> Look, when you can't even get your parents to sit in the front row, you're really just, you're, you're facing an uphill battle. Uh, glad to be with you one more time on a Sunday. Hope you're doing well during this uh, uncertain time. Uh, as we approach, I was just speaking to somebody at first service, the Jacobs family. Uh, they told me their, their second child is eight months old, which is insane to me because when I first got here, she was pregnant. Uh, so time has flown past. Uh, and I don't know, like you, the first month of COVID seemed to drag for years. And then the last few weeks have kind of flown by and we're barreling into the summer. Somebody told me the other day that summer is about over in Sioux Falls, and I nearly slapped them. Uh, it was Seth, and I almost, I almost beat him. Um, glad to be with you on this, and I hope you're doing well. Let me read for us the passages on which today's sermon has been prepared. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many but fools die for lack of sense. Proverbs 10, 18 through 21. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12, 18. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 15, 1 through 4. Uh, we're preaching through Proverbs today is the last on the series of Proverbs. We've been talking about what wisdom looks like, how to find a third way to wisdom, not this way or that way of the world. We've been chronicling through that, how to, how to pursue wisdom, how to choose wisdom. It's a path. It's not intellectual savviness. It's not more data collection, but rather how to live well in which the bounds that Christ gave us, what God gave us. And today I want to talk about words. Words that you speak, words that you type, statements, decrees, things that come out, language that is to portray anything to anybody. Now, I specifically chose words, well, it, it, it turns out that I had a, a bag full of subjects to go off of. This fits, I think, timely for us, because as we talk about words and how to speak well to other people, how to project truth on various platforms... Uh, yes, social media included. Yes, in your conversations with people. Yes, in your side fellowship that you have in your homes. I want us to be able to speak well. And to speak well, you must be willing to do these things that I'm going to go over. Uh, it is the last in the series. Next week, we're going to pick up marriage. And can I just say right now, uh, the marriage series is twofold. One, we need to talk about marriage as it pertains to larger issues within uh, uh within the life of Horizon and the denomination. But secondly, uh, I think if I understand things well, uh, this season has been hard on many marriages. It's been difficult. I just want to accept that and state that for the record and invite you in to hear how we can be better servants to each other in our marriages. And today's sermon actually helps with that, our words. Uh, we should be able to speak well and speak life into that. And the things with words that we need to come to understand, what, what I hope you get from them, 
is words are life and death giving. But words, in, in our society, we think of them as two different ways. Again, this way or that way. This way, words are everything. Words, words are the end-all, be-all. And if I say something, I could just make a statement, and that's it. I don't have to do any action after that. Actually, what we're going to come to find out is your words must carry weight by the circuit that they complete. And if you don't live a life based upon words, if you don't have action based upon words, if you just make a statement, if you just put up a post and that's it, your words are nothing. They're like chaff in the wind. Secondarily, we think words are nothing. Maybe you've heard it said from people, uh, preach the gospel and if required, if needed, at times use words. That's backwards. The gospel must be words that are accompanied by life. This way and that way is to say words are everything. If I just say it and I have an action, that's fine. Or words mean nothing. It's only action. Both of them are wrong. The third way says this, words initiate what faith completes. Words initiate what faith completes. Or let me put it this way. It's summer. We're coming up on 4th of July. Uh, I found out that uh, in normal circumstances, Sioux Falls does fireworks well from a bunch of people. Uh, where I lived before, uh, we had a state next to us that had no regulations on fireworks. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was crazy. Uh, dogs hated that time of life. Uh, you basically had to just give them tranquilizers to make them sleep the whole night or they'd go bonkers. Uh, Fourth of July is coming up. It's summer. It's celebratory. Let me ask you a question to try to tell you how words initiate what faith completes. If I was to ask you, when was America's independence? You say, well, 4th of July. 4th of July was the Declaration of Independence. Do you know it had to happen after the Declaration of Independence? You actually had to go get independence. You actually had to go receive independence. It was a declaration, sure, but just because of the declaration out there, the British did not say, oh, okay, hey, sorry, you're right, you said it, so it's true. No, there was action that followed up the declaration. Or let me put it this way, what makes a marriage? A marriage is not just a wedding in which you make statements, declarations, oaths, covenants. That's true. A wedding is important. Is it everything? No. Because then you actually have to go live as husband and wife. Declaration starts with faith finishes. And in order to see that today, I want you to see this. I want you to see the weight of words. I want you to see what words are. The weight of words, the what of words. And then lastly, a third. We need to describe them. If, I, if you are to go from here being wise in your language, being wise in your context, being wise of that, you need to understand the weight, the what, and then a third. We need to describe it and then put it into application. So first, the weight of words. Uh, Proverbs does not mince its clarity on language, on words, on declarations. It says they're crucial. It says they're important. It actually says words bring life or death. Uh, I've used this before to, under, to try to convey the weight of preaching God's word in Scripture. It says if you lead anybody astray, if you teach something that is contrary, if you speak something and somebody believes it because you've given them life and it's contrary to my Scriptures, you don't want to face me, Christ says. You, you don't want to be around when I come. It's not going to go well for you. See, words, things that we convey, bring life and death. That's the weight of them. And we might be flippant with our words. Maybe you're... Maybe you're like this. Maybe you think words aren't that important. It's all about your actions. Oh, no, 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 no. Words are the vehicle by which Christ chose to convey his message. He didn't come uh, in 2020 
with photos and video. He didn't, he didn't do that. He came in a specific time, in a specific location where oral understanding, where written, where the word communication was vital because his message is vital in that way. Proverbs 18 says, the words you use, the way you speak is like a spear, a sword. It can bring life and death. Here's the image I, that Proverbs use that I want you to understand. I'm gonna give you two scenarios. Uh, one scenario, there's a woman in a white coat with red stains and a scalpel in her hand, waving it wildly all about as she runs at you. How many of you are going to do anything but run out of the room when she is coming at you? Now, conversely, if you are in a room, it's the same woman, she's in a white coat, there are no stains, her hands are calm, her voice is steady, and she's asking you to get on a surgical table to remove cancer. Now you'll do it. See, words can bring life. It's a scalpel. It's a spear. It's a sword. It's strong and surgical. It's a tool. Words are tools to convey truth, to convey a message, to convey grace. But tools can be used for horrible, horrible things, can't they? Uh, uh, Bank robbers can have a great plan. They're incredible planners, and they're they're great at, at talking to people. They have skills and talents that are great. What do they use it for? They use it to take money from other people. What if they use that good of speaking, those gifts of speaking, the gifts of communication, the gifts of planning, of ingenuity, and they use those tools for something else? Oh, my goodness. You see, the tool is not evil. The tool can bring life and death. It's very, very important. It's how you use them. So today I want you to see it's, it's no exaggeration to say how you speak can kill people or bring them to life. I want to talk about how that takes place. Death can take place physically, it can take place communally, relationally, or it can take place spiritually in our hearts. The first one, death can bring, or words can bring death or life to the body. What do you mean by that? There was such a time in which kings and queens kind of gave out an edict, uh, hey, I want to put a bounty on somebody's head, and their word came forth and it brought death to somebody else. Or think of Gladiator the movie, the word of Caesar brought life and death to those in the battle arena. With an edict, it was so, and somebody was, was killed or brought or, or, or kept alive. Now, we want to say, well, they have, certainly that, that used to happen. But nobody does that today. Those are kind of old examples of it. No, 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 this happens today all the time. By the word of a leader, by, by the declaration of an institution, of a government, of a, of a branch, people's lives are given or taken away. Death is brought about, or how about this? Uh, if you're a, on a donor list, you need a new lung. You need part of a lung to, to do well. Uh, you're on a donor list. You'll receive that. The action of receiving is going to bring you life. But let's say uh, you go into the donor bank and you steal a lung. You jump in line. You take it. You go to a doctor and say, here, put this in me. I, I need this transplant. Life's going to come about. Well, the procedure is all there. That's the procedure. You receive a lung from a donor bank. You go to a doctor. You get it. That's the action. But what didn't happen first? What needs to happen for all of that to, be, to go through? consent. It needs the sign-off. It needs proper authority. It needs a declaration from surgeon. It needs a declaration from insurance. It needs a declaration for you to begin to have life. See, it happens all the time. In our lives, things don't start unless communication, unless words are given. You can be nice to somebody all day long, but unless they know why you're being nice, isn't it kind of disconcerting? 
Isn't it kind of weird? Somebody comes and gives you a gift and buys your, your meal for you as you're at a restaurant, and you're like, oh, that was really kind. But have you ever stopped and thought, why did that person do that? Without an understanding, without words, without communication, it can be good or it can be bad. What if that person bought you a, a lunch to make you feel pleasant, to make you feel better about your relationship, to manipulate you into doing something for them later? Or what if they did it just because they understood that you were in need and they had extra and they wanted to gift you because Christ gifted it to you? Do you see how one action without words is unclear, but all of a sudden when you give understanding, when you state what it is, when you convey the truth of the matter, it changes everything. Words initiate, they bring life, physical life. Secondly, they can give death or life to community. Now, like I said, I'm coming about a year being here, and one of the things that Arise did really, really well when I first got here uh, is you guys actually didn't share much information about each other at all. It was actually kind of nice. Because uh, a lot of times when you come into a new community, this happens. Or how about this? A new neighbor comes in, and the neighbor comes over to you and starts talking, and you're like, oh, yeah, hey, just let so you know, so-and-so, five houses down, watch out for them. And all of a sudden, the gossip starts scuttling about, right? Do you know what happens? Do you know why Scripture talks about gossip so, so fervently? Do you know why James talks about the tongue being a rudder of a ship that steers and has the direction of an entire thing? Because with one slight word. It changes your perception. It changes your community with somebody in a drastic way. Imagine if, if you know, I, I get here and somebody comes up and you say, hey, just let you know, so-and-so, just, just be careful of them. They give a name and they say, just be careful. They don't say any more than that and then they walk away. Do you know what has happened communally to me at that moment with that person? I can't help but do it. You, we've all seen the movie Inception. If you haven't, one little seed of thing get into our heart and it blossoms. Somebody comes and says, hey, watch out for so-and-so. I could have a great interaction with that person, but I'm always thinking in my mind, what, what do they mean by those words? Watch out for them. And my relationship with them drastically, my community with them drastically changes. Just by a, a few small phrases, I can't help but do it. You can't help but do it. This is why gossip is so slanderous, so dangerous, so life and death. Now imagine conversely if somebody came up, if you have a new coworker at your job and your boss comes to you and says, just to let you know, this, this new employee, she's coming in, she's fantastic, I trust her with my life, I've, I, she's great employee, dedicated, gracious, can you treat them like you would me? And all of a sudden you go, oh, wow, this person's fantastic. This, this, this woman is going to be great. I, I'm going to give her, I'm going to take her out to lunch. I'm going to get to know her. Why? Because somebody else spoke well of her. The slightest words can bring community or kill community. And that's why gossip is so, so, so dangerous. Because we can't help it. Our hearts are so soft, malleable things that we take in information all the time. Are you speaking well to bring life to community of people? Or are you speaking ill of them? to hope to cut them off from community. And next, meaning of words. So not only, not only do words bring life and death physically, life and death communally, they bring life and death emotionally, spiritually, heart. The best way I can show you this is, is Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis 1 through 3, God creates things, and at the end of all his creation, he makes a statement. He says, it is good. Now, have you ever stopped and wondered why he says that? You should. You should stop and wonder, why, why did he say that? God didn't have to say that. 
He could have created something and let his work, as we say, speak for itself, right? But why did he say, it is good? Now, if you read the commentators, commentators I read, you go through, uh, they'll say this. Sometimes we look at something and go, oh my goodness, that's beautiful. We're, We're describing it. We're saying the splendor of this is glorious. It's what Adam actually does to Eve. He goes, wow, that's beautiful. He's He's recognizing the beauty in something. But the commentators, when they talk about the the poetry of the time, when they talk about the way in which it's not God saying, oh, I'm naturally observing the beauty. He's bestowing beauty upon it. Or put it this way. It wasn't good until God said, it is good. It was naturally not good. It didn't have something that was good in and of itself. God needed to say to that thing, it is good. How do I know? He created Adam. What did you say of Adam? Oh, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Adam was created naturally. Everything else was called good. Adam was created in the same way. Why didn't he look at him and say, oh, it's good? He said, I'm not bestowing the value upon this yet. I need to complete the circuit of this. Uh, How many of us have had a project where we do in our backyard? Uh, how many of us have created a, a work masterpiece and we take it to our boss or we make a fire pit or we, uh, I don't know, clean up the house and somebody comes home and they don't say a word about it. They don't say, oh, wow, it looks nice in here. Oh, wow, that fire pit's great. Or your boss doesn't say, great job on that. What happens to your soul? What happens to your heart? Kind of broken a little bit. When there's absence of words, it doesn't bring value to your emotion, to your spirit, to your soul. No one's bestowing that. Are you bestowing value onto people by how you speak to them? Because staying silent doesn't let them know that they have value. God could have let his creation stand, but he said instead, it is good. Are you looking at things and bestowing value that you have onto it by saying it is good? Or are you saying it is wrong, it is bad, it is gross, and therefore taking life? So that's the, the, the gift that words bring. It's weightiness, it's life and death, physically, emotionally, communally. But next we have to understand what words are or the value of words. Because we can, we can talk all we want. We can, be, we can give life, we can understand the weight. We can have truth, we can, we can say these things, but unless we do it in a proper way, it actually means nothing. Words mean nothing if not done in the proper way. The tool has the power, but it also must be used appropriately. Uh, you should not use a, a, a three-inch drill bit to carve up a watermelon. It's not going to go well for you. Conversely, you shouldn't use a knife to unscrew uh, your door hinge. It wouldn't go well for you. Maybe you do that. Maybe you bust out the butter knife because a screwdriver isn't in your hand. We've all done that. It's okay. Let's admit it. You shouldn't do it because the tool has value. It needs to be used in the appropriate way. So we need to understand what the tool is meant for and the ways in which it's supposed to be used. There are three things I want you to see about words that must be accompanied. Your words are important in their tone, in the truth, and in their context. The tone, the truth, and the context. What do I mean by that? It says in Proverbs, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Gentle answers turn away wrath. Do you know what it's talking about words? This is actually very, very wild. It says, not only it says a gentle tongue. Many of us have had problems in speaking to our neighbors or those outside of faith on how to understand Christ. Or maybe you do this with your children. How many of us, as we're talking with our children, and we want them to change their behavior, we use a harsh tone, and it doesn't go anywhere. 
How many of us bark at people? Orders. Does anybody, by the way, has anybody had success barking out orders and somebody listened to them? I haven't one day in my life. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm not barking loud enough. But it doesn't work. Why? The tone is important. Let me give you an example. Uh, There was this pastor on the West Coast, a very, very prominent pastor, very, very incredible ministry. Uh, His tone was all off. He would ridicule people from the stage. His truth was incredible. His theology, his preaching was actually ornate. I loved his preaching. But his tone was all off. His tone was angry and bitter and mad. It's like saying, Christ came to die for you. Christ came to die for you! Like, whoa, which which one's going on here? The tone is important how we receive it. You know this to be true. You can be right all day long, but if it's actually not doing a lick of good for anybody, if they can't receive it, if they can't take the medicine, your medicine is useless. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Your tone is vital. It cannot be anything other than grace-filled. Now, at times, does it need to be stern? Absolutely. That example I gave earlier where Christ said, if you teach something wrong, better not be with me. Absolutely, there are times for stern tones. People want to say all the time, well, Jesus turned over tables in the temple. He did that one time. You're right. Should we be afraid of turning over tables? Nope, we should do it at times. Should it be 90% of our ministry, of our lives, of our relationship? Nope, he did it at one time to show that he was angry, and we should be angry at things. But our tone ought to be, most of the time, just like Christ's, which we'll get to in a little bit. Next, truth. Tone can't be enough. It must be truthful. It must have weight. There must be value given because the value is real. If you try to take Monopoly money and go into a bank and deposit it, they'd laugh at you, correct? The same thing with words. If there's no weight behind them, there's no value behind them, they can be nice, they can be pretty, but it doesn't mean anything. Your tone, but also the truth, it must have substance behind it. And now imagine this. Imagine you're hanging out with friends, and these friends are talking to you in their, in their house, and they're saying, wow, we, it's so nice hanging out with you. It's so kind being with you. Thank you so much. I love being around you. They give you a hug, they pat you on the back, and you walk out the door. And the friends stay in there. Uh, and then you, you forgot your keys. You're like, oh, man, I got to go back in and get my keys. So you open the door, you go back in, and your friends all of a sudden be like, oh, gosh, I'm so glad they're gone. Oh, my gosh, how much of a bore were they? And you overhear it. What has just happened to the pleasant tone, to the nice words, to the life-giving words? You, you left feeling great, but you come back and you find out it's fraudulent. It's a lie. It's not true. What's happened to all of your thoughts of them? They're gone. They're vanished. Why? There's no truth behind them. How many times in life do you say something that sounds kind, that is pleasing to the ears, but there's no truth behind it, and therefore it's useless? See, we must have nice tones, but we cannot abandon the weight behind those words. Do not placate ears. This is why scripture tells all the time, do not give in to flatterers. Don't give in to to those who want to pay you nice compliments. Be Be very cautious, anybody that's just paying you compliment after compliment. They probably are setting you up. Unless there's truth behind it. So somebody who comes and says, you're the best. You, you're always so great. You always do good. You know you. Is that true? No. Somebody's flattering you. Instead of giving you truth that wants you to grow. 
And that's the church. The church says, I love you enough to tell you, I need to rebuke you. I need to exhort you. I need to tell you hard things right now in a loving way, in a kind way, in a tone that's good. But I need to give you truth. Scripture does this all the time, doesn't it? Paul does this all the time. Look, look at any single time Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'll keep on preaching it. It's hard lessons in there. You are wretched and without hope and can't do anything good for your salvation is a hard pill to swallow. And yet that's exactly what Scripture says. How we say it's vitally important, but it must have truth. And then lastly, it must be fitting. It must be in the proper setting. Scripture says it's, it's like choice silver. Proverbs says it's like apples. It's good for nourishing our souls. Now, it has to have truth, has to have tone, but what if it's not fitting? What if you say kind things, truthful things in the wrong setting? Oh, destruction is about to follow you. Uh, what if I had a piece of equipment that I've never used before? What if I'm digging up a whole bunch of soil and some tree roots and that sort of thing? I've never used this piece of equipment. And I ask you, and you, and you know, and I say, hey, how does, how does this thing work? What, what do I do here? Can you show me the, the, the way around this? And you say, you know, uh, if you're packing up your clothes to store somewhere else, you want to put mothballs in there before you store them. You're like, what? What are you talking about? I'm asking you how to use this piece of equipment. It's life and death. What you just said is truth. What you just said has a nice tone. Or if you want to tell me, you know, I really like the color blue. Like, I don't care what color you like or don't like. I'm asking you how to use this piece of machinery. What do I do with this? See, if the, if the context, if it's, our answers aren't fitting, they're useless. You can say it kindly. It can be followed with truth, but if it's not fitting, it's useless. If somebody is suffering, if pain is in their lives, if there's a problem happening and you want to change the subject to something else, you're not doing anybody any good. Uh, how many of us have had this with friends or, or spouses where somebody wants to say, hey, I want to talk about your words that you said last night, how hurtful they are. And you said, well, I want to talk about how you didn't cook dinner well last night. You want to talk about how dinner was bad last night? Okay, we'll talk about that later. We want to say, what is it that, that, that is fitting, that is good, that is on subject? We don't want to change the subject. Because the second we change the subject, the second we hijack the conversation and say, I want to do something, I want to talk about this, we're not helping anybody. Do you hijack conversations to fit your own ends, even if what you're saying is truthful and kind? It's not fitting. It's not choice silver. It's monopoly money. Do you give fitting answers at fitting times, timely answers? Now look, right now, there are a lot of questions going about in the world. Let's not change the subject to fit our own desires. We need to talk in truth and in grace, but if problems come up, we need to discuss them in a timely manner with fairness, with grace, with truth. Don't hijack the conversation because you're not going to bring relational health to anybody. You're not going to bring health to anybody. You're not going to help the people you love out in doing so. And lastly, a third. I said it was going to be a third. It's this, the final word. When I said at the beginning, words initiate with faith completes, I want to show you. I want to show you Christ's life. In Scripture, he's called the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Do you know what's so incredible about Jesus' words? Do you know what's so powerful about his words? And this is what, if, if you've interacted with anybody outside the church, they might say this a lot. I really like Jesus. He's a great guy. I want more of him. I want less of the church. You Christians are all messed up. Well, you want to say, well, he, he, he came to serve. He came to die. He came to give grace. He did all that. He said some pretty incredible things. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I came not to judge, but one day will come back to judge. He said some very exclusive, very hard things to swallow. Why did, why did Jesus come to dwell amongst us and not just give us edicts from on high? Have you ever thought about that? God could have chose any way in the entire world to do things. He could have just said, oh, here, here's the Bible. Read it. Come back to me. I'll test you. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He sent his son that is the word to dwell amongst us. He said these hard truths as he was hugging children, as he sat in the temple, as he walked and healed and ate with people, as he was in the boat calming the waters from the disciples, as he was teaching, as he was letting defiled, diseased people come to him and interact with them and sit with them and touch them. Do you know what Jesus' life did to his words? They brought power. They brought meaning. They brought value. Are you somebody who uses words but has no follow-through? Are you somebody who promises everybody? You over-promise and under-deliver. Or do you let your yes be yes and your no be no, just like Christ did? Christ came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Let me show you. I will go die for you. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me show you. I'll do everything that I'm seeing him do, and I won't do anything outside of that. I'll willingly die. I don't want to die, but I will willingly give of myself. Could you imagine if Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me, and then said at the end, nah, I don't want to die. Never mind. Hard pass. I'll see you later. I'm going to go home. It would have undone his entire ministry. See, the words that he initiated were completed by faith. The circuit and the power and the energy and the electricity was completed. The incarnation is key to us. Do you know what the incarnation is? God became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's, my, here's what I just want to tell you. If you're somebody that struggles with words, if your words do not bring life but death, if your words aren't in a pleasant tone but rather angry, if your words aren't truthful but rather flattery, if your words aren't fitting, but rather you hijack the conversation, you know what the only answer is? Here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs says the seat of our lives, the words come out of our heart. Do you know why Christ didn't send us an edict, a Ten Commands, a Bible alone, here are the words, follow it, let's do a test? you know why? That never works. That never works. I don't know about you. I've never been changed in my heart by an essay, not once. You know what I've been changed by? The person who wrote the essay, living a life that is complete, that is good, that is great. You know what I've been changed by? Somebody who follows scripture and then puts it in their lives and says, I am not as good as I once thought I was. He is better than me. Christ needed to dwell amongst us because he needed to show us the way. Not only is he the way, he needed to show us the way. Are you somebody who, who's a fan of Scripture? You're a fan of Jesus, but you actually don't live it? Because your tone is off, your truth is off, your context is off? 
The only way I know how to change that, the only, the only answer that Christ gives is not an edict from on high, but a man who, who was God dwelling amongst us. Are you dwelling with the word? Is your heart changing and therefore naturally your words will change? If you aim in life to change your words, to be gracious, to be contextual, to be truthful, but you don't have a heart, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Can I force a couple to stay married and tell them, hey, you're going to sin if you get divorced, and yada, yada, yada? Yeah, of course. Will that change their hearts? Nope. Will they be angry and bitter and mad at each other? Yep. What needs to change? Ah. What needs to change is our hearts to be molded and soft to say, not as good. I'm a sinner who's broken. And I need Christ to dwell within me. So church, do you study God's word or you dwell with it? Can you rattle off five verses aimed at other people? You know five really well. Typically, we, we know five verses very well. They're like pet projects for us. Uh, as adults, we all know the command to follow and obey mother and father. We know that one real well. But do we dwell in Scripture? Do we let it saturate in our bones? Do we let it wash us like a river smoothing out stones? And over years and years and years, it's, it, we're made smooth. We're made perfect. We're made whole by it. Or do you dabble in many different things, never dwelling and sitting in the uncomfortable seat of Scripture? Uh, I'm watching this documentary right now on Bruce Lee. It's a fantastic documentary. Uh, in it, he has a saying. He says, I don't fear a man who knows 10,000 kicks and practices them one time. I fear a man who knows one kick and practices them 10,000 times. Are you somebody who dabbles in a lot of different things about Christ, but you don't dwell on the gospel? You don't let that saturate and sit amongst you? Don't know 10,000 things about Christ. Don't study all numerology in all different books. What if it was incredible? What if you only knew the passages on the Sermon on the Mount and nothing else from Scripture, but you dwelled on that every single day? Do you know what happened to your life? Oh my goodness, your life would be transformed. Your words would change, I guarantee you. Here's how I want to end. I just want to ask you a simple thing about dwelling in the Word. Do you know the easiest way to learn language? If God had to dwell amongst us and we are sinful creatures that are alien from grace, we're foreign to it. The language of scripture is foreign to us. You know the easiest way to learn a foreign language? Immerse yourself in it. You immerse yourself. You breathe it in and out. You eat of it. You move to a Spanish-speaking city and you stay there and you eat the food and you read the menu and everything. There's nothing in English. That's the best way. All the linguists will tell you that's the best way to learn it. Are you outside of your way, your native tongue? And rather, are you immersing yourself in the tongue of Christ, the language of heaven, the language of the kingdom, and letting that pervade all of your life? How do you do that? Do you want Christ's word center to your heart, or do you want your own way? That's the first step. Second step, do you just dwell in it? Do you not study it? Now, it doesn't sound weird. The pastor's telling you not to study Scripture. Stop studying Scripture. Read it. Let it wash you. Memorize it. Know it. Read the same passage every single day for a week, the same three verses and nothing else, because by doing so, you're learning the language. You're immersing yourself. It will naturally flow out of you. 
You won't have to stop and think. Your thumbs, when they're on Facebook, you don't have to edit that message over and over again. <laughs> what comes out will be natural because you're, it's pervading, it's saturating your bones. Stop studying Scripture. Dwell in Scripture. Dwell with Christ. Glory in Him. Because the second you complete the circuit, the second faith initi- or the words initiate what faith completes, you're somebody who has a heart whose words can bring life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. You are the word. You came to start to initiate a declaration, an edict that said we were free, but your life completed what your words were. We write checks all the time that we can't cash with our words. You wrote a check with your mouth that you did cash on the cross. You were a man who dwelt amongst us. May we dwell with you. May we not be fans of you, but may we be personal in relationship with you so our words have effect of life. They're like a surgeon's scalpel, not a murderous rampage. We give life, not death. May we be people of your word as we go out from here today. Sons, I pray, amen.